I'm Chris Jameson with the Jameson Ranch in Coleman, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories. We'll wrap up the coverage of our trip to the Rio Grande Valley. That's coming up to kick off today's show. There remains a critical shortage of veterinarians in Texas. The good news is there are dozens of Texas Tech veterinary medicine students who will be helping to fill that need in the not too distant future. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. We may not see a new farm bill this year. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have an update coming up on Texas Ag Today. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Be sure to hold on tight because it all starts right now. Today, we're wrapping up our visit to the Rio Grande Valley, where we've seen a very unique form of Texas agriculture. But the Achilles heel of Valley agriculture here on the border is the dependence on irrigation water from the Rio Grande River. It's affecting all aspects of farming and ranching here, including the small Texas sugar industry. Dale Kerstetter is Director of Environmental Health, Safety, and Public Relations for Rio Grande Valley Sugar Growers, the only sugar mill in Texas. Rio Grande Valley Sugar Growers is a farmer-owned co-op. There's about 110 farmers within this co-op. Typically, they'll farm about 34 to 35,000 acres of sugar cane per year. But thanks to the drought and the ongoing water dispute with Mexico, sugarcane acreage was cut in half this year, from 34,000 acres down to 17,000. And that causes the mill to take a big financial hit. It's tough. We're having to do a lot of cost cutting, a lot of cutbacks, everything else. All supervisors, myself, we've all had to, to cut back tremendously on manpower. If we can get by with two people instead of three, we're doing that. And that's just, it's, it's mother nature. It'll come back around again. We've lasted through some droughts before. We can do this one too. There is a silver lining for Texas sugar farmers in all of this. The price they're receiving is high right now, more than double what they were getting a few years ago. Sugar prices are pretty solid, and they're projecting it's going to stay that way for at least for another three or four years. About eight years ago, it was down to about 17 cents a pound. That was pretty bad. Right now, we're a little bit over 35 so it's about double. So even though we have decreased acres, the price is what's going to help hold us at least until next season. That may be the only thing that's keeping this mill going. And without it, the surrounding economy would see a big hit as the mill employs over 500 people during the harvest and grinding season. You figure between the farmers, the equipment that they have to buy, the trucks that we have to buy, everything that drives this, we're looking at about 8 to 12 million gallons of diesel fuel a year just to run all these tractors and everything. 
So it's a trickle down. There's a lot, a lot of different companies that rely on this mill. During season, we have 520 employees during the season. And the off season, when it's repair season, it's 200. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's quite a lot of employees that, stay, that are out here. Like all of Valley Agriculture, water is the lifeblood that determines the future of this sugar mill and the 110 farmers that supply it. And that problem will continue as long as Mexico is not delivering its share of water to the U.S. under the 1944 Water Treaty. This has been an eye-opening tour of the Rio Grande Valley. I've seen news of the water dispute with Mexico, but when you actually get your boots on the ground here in the valley and talk to farmers affected by it, you realize what a critical situation it is. Farmers on this end of the Rio Grande River are totally dependent on water flowing into the river from Mexico. But Mexico is violating our water treaty and keeping that water in their country water that's owned by the U.S., and they're using it to grow crops that compete with farmers on our side of the border. Brian Jones is a valley farmer who helped coordinate our tour for the Texas Farm Bureau State Board of Directors. We invited the entire state board along with our president, and every one of them came down here. Every one, every one of them took something new away from it, and a lot of people had never even been down to the Rio Grande Valley and 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 toured this area, and so they had a concept, but I don't think they truly grasped everything that, that was happening here, especially dealing with the Mexico water situation. And, and I believe that uh, that now we've, we've made those, the uniqueness of the Rio Grande Valley and the water treaty and the situation a lot clearer to each one of them. So what is the next step? You know, the main thing is we need to find a pressure point for our politicians, probably starting in either the the uh, the Senate with uh, Senators Cruz and Cornyn, finding some type of pressure point to apply to Mexico to make them comply and release the water that needs to be released. Either that or we're, uh, one of the other considerations that we're having here at Rio Grande Valley Growers is, is going to uh, the Attorney General's office and Ken Paxton and seeing if they would be willing to sue the Biden administration to get them to step up and, and, and enforce the treaty that's not being enforced right now. Jones has been working on this issue for many years. He says the decision to make Mexico comply with the water treaty is in the hands of the U.S. State Department. And so far, they have not been willing to enforce the treaty. There's a critical shortage of veterinarians in Texas, but James Hunt tells us the Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine is hoping to solve that problem. As we talked about yesterday, for the first time in the school's short history, the Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine in Amarillo is about to have a class of students begin the process of clinical rotations. For these 62 students, their clinical work will be a major step in the path toward becoming fully credentialed veterinarians when they graduate in May of 2025. As for their future prospects, the school's dean, Guy Lonerregan, says demand remains high for veterinarians. In Texas, there are on average four open positions for every applicant at the moment. Uh, the demand for all types of veterinarians, whether it's in private practice, in academia, we're looking for veterinarians all the time, but rural communities in particular. There is a disproportionate number of veterinarians in rural communities who are looking to retire too, which will exacerbate the need for veterinarians. 
So the time is absolutely perfect to be a graduating veterinarian to walk into a wonderful job. Maybe with the ratio you quoted a moment ago, maybe there's not much of a need for one, but does Texas Tech have a placement program for these students? We work with a lot of our practice partners. We are working with the Texas Veterinary Medical Association to develop a job fair. But quite frankly, you're right. A job fair really is not needed. Nationwide, 98% of all graduating students graduate with a job. Uh, They don't graduate then find a job. They graduate with a job. So the workforce demand is ample at the moment. But we are working on career fairs and other components as well. More from Dr. Guy Lana Reagan of the Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We may not see a completed farm bill this year. Jessica Domel has the story. We may not see a completed farm bill until the summer of 2025. That's according to Texas A&M University's Ag and Food Policy Chief Joe Outlaw, who advises both parties on the House and Senate Ag Committees. Dr. Outlaw says farm bills take months to pass, write, and enact. The shortest he's seen is nine months, time eaten up this year by political dysfunction and the election calendar. On a Farm Policy Facts Groundwork podcast, he says, There's a little bit of rumblings that they want to get it done in 24. I don't expect it to be done in 24 unless something wild happens after the election. And even then, if House or Senate flips, it's going to be enough change that I don't think it will happen early in 25 either. He says that means later in the summer of 2025. Not a good prospect when the American Farm Bureau economists predict in a market intel report on USDA data, the largest record drop in net farm income, down more than 25% from last year. AFBF President Zippy Duval is calling on Congress to bring down farming costs and pass a new farm bill. But Managing Director of Government Affairs Ryan Yates tells us, I think both for the House and the Senate, I think there's a great deal of distance between the chairman and woman and the ranking members that still need to be resolved. One example is a proposal by Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow to shift more Title I funds to crop insurance and make producers choose between the two. We don't see uh, one or the other type of an approach. I think that would be a mistake to have to give up one uh, risk management program for another. I think that would be a problem. Today's comments were from Ryan Yates from the American Farm Bureau Federation and Dr. Joe Outlaw from Texas A&M's Agriculture and Food Policy Center. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Rural child care is gaining support by farm and ranch families. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more of my report on injury prevention strategies on Texas Ag Today. And cold weather can be tough on livestock, including sheep. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up. These stories plus a look at the markets are straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA President Amara Jackson from Michigan. What better way to show your support of FFA members than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Texas farmers and ranchers informed for over two decades. 
This is Texas Ag Today on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Farming and ranching can be a dangerous business, especially for children. Tom Nicoletti tells us rural child care may save some lives. My guest today is Scott Heiberger. He is communications manager with the National Farm Medicine Center. And Scott, uh, certainly rural child care is gaining support for farmers and ranchers, families around the country. So explain what's going on there and why it's so vitally important. Well, we've known for a long time that most of the injuries occurring to children on farms occur to children who are not working and who are younger than 10 years old. So this is the group that we would be thinking about when we talk about child care. So for us, it's a safety issue. We feel like if we can do something to help promote rural child care, that that's going to cut down on injuries. For farm parents, yes, it's a safety issue, but it's also an economic issue. If I think to the pandemic when non-farm people are doing their Zoom calls and trying to get work done, and the schools were closed and they had children underfoot, and they're trying to do their jobs with kids there. Well, imagine your farm family trying to do your job, and you have some actual serious safety considerations. So I think maybe the pandemic helped boost awareness a little bit of this issue. It's really heartening to see Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, politicians of both parties being very, very receptive to this issue. In fact, Farm Bureau and Farmers Union have identified rural child care as one of their farm bill priorities. I mean, that's never happened before. So we do seem to be reaching a lot of people with this idea of child care, and farm families are asking for this. We've got a researcher that has worked with especially farm moms for a number of years, and survey after survey, the feedback is, we need help with this. We don't have accessibility to child care, and even if we did, it's not affordable. First step is to identify the need, I think, and for organizations to jump on board, and uh, hopefully now we're getting closer to an implementation phase. That is Scott Heiberger with the National Farm Medicine Center. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cold winter weather can be tough on livestock, including sheep. Dr. Bob Judd says sheep may need some special care on those coldest days. Winter is a stressful time for livestock and owners. It is important to provide proper care and management for these animals, and sheep may need some special care during the cold weather. Michael Metzger from Michigan State Extension should know something about the cold weather being in Michigan. And he indicates in the Shepherd publication that sheep need some kind of shelter from the wind and rain. Even a three-sided shed works well, but you need to make sure the shelter has adequate ventilation to prevent respiratory disease. Hair sheep and wool breeds that have been recently shorn should definitely have a good shelter and ewes that are lambing during the cold weather definitely need to be housed in a barn and checked regularly. Babies must be dried after birth and kept in a warm area as newborns cannot regulate their body temperature and will get cold really quick and not nurse. Drafty and wet areas in the barn can lead to pneumonia in baby lambs. Sheep and most other animals require more energy during the winter, but you have to avoid overfeeding. It's recommended to feed average to good quality hay during early gestation and feed high quality hay during the last trimester of pregnancy and lactation. If you are feeding high quality hay, it is important to limit intake to avoid overfeeding. Used through 15 weeks of gestation should receive four pounds of a good quality grass or legume hay per day. 
And in the last four weeks, you can add in one pound of corn daily. Once you begin to lactate, they need five pounds of good quality hay and two pounds of a 15% grain mix per day. Feeding hay in feeders is always a good idea to minimize waste and offering salt and minerals formulated for sheep should also be part of the ration. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Sometimes you love them, sometimes you cuss them. Here's a look at the markets on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures close lower on Tuesday. Red ink in both live and feeder cattle. With February live cattle down 50 cents, 183.75. The April down 82, 185.10. With June live cattle down 97 cents, 182.55. Feeder cattle lower as well. March contract down 82 cents, 248 even. April feeders down a dollar 42, 251.75, with May feeder cattle down a dollar 40 at 255.45. Cash fed cattle all quiet on Tuesday, no sales to report. Boxed beef prices were lower. Choice down 83 cents, 293.25. Select down seven. At 286.95. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Riley Rhodes owns and operates, along with his partners, Live Oak Livestock, Three Rivers, Texas. They sell most every Monday all year long. Riley, how was this last Monday sale? Still lots of demand, Larry. The uh, market was really good today. Uh, I quoted it, though, some of the lightweight calves, 6 to 10 higher. Bigger calves and yearlings, probably 3 to 6 higher. And Packer cows and bulls, 2 to 4 higher. So a good day all the way around. Ended up with 1,773 head today. Uh, did have a few pairs. Getting a few of them sold uh, now since the rain, twelve fifty up to twenty two hundred. The bred cows uh, sold from anywhere from eleven hundred up to eighteen fifty. The high yielding packer cows one twelve to one twenty four. Your breakers one hundred six to one fourteen. Canners eighty two to ninety six. Your high yielding packer bulls one twenty eight to one thirty six. Low to medium yielding bulls one hundred eight to one twenty eight. The two to three weight choice steers three twenty four to three eighty eight. Heifer mates three twelve to three fifty eight. Three to four weight choice steers three twenty two to three ninety. Heifer mates 308 to 356. Four to five weight choice steers 304 to 362. Heifer mates 258 to 322. Five to six weight choice steers 276 up to three dollars. Five to uh, the five to six weight choice heifers 234 to 266. Six to seven weight choice steers 238 to 272. Their heifer mates 228 to 250. And the seven to eight weight cattle your choice steers 216 to 240. And the heifer mates 208 to 232. So got along real well today, had good volume and uh, lots of buyer interest, lots of demand. Uh, you know, so market uh, continues to be on a roll. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Riley. 361-813-6650 is my cell. 
361-786-2553 is the office and the webpage, liveoakleistock.com. Riley, thank you very much. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. And neighbor, thank you for listening to our program, Walk in the Pins, Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We'll be back again tomorrow, Monday through Friday, with another edition of the program. Until then, good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market where lean hogs were mixed on Tuesday. February hogs up 65 cents, 74.22. The April contract down 5, 81.07. Class 3 milk was mixed. February down 2 cents, 16.19 a hundred weight. With March milk up 10 cents, 17.36 a hundred. The cotton market made new highs for the year on Tuesday, despite the fundamental factors looking negative. Usually, when we see the U.S. dollar rise and the stock market fall, that's negative for the cotton market. However, it did not happen. We held on to the big gains that we had last week. We're still in the 90-cent level on the nearby March contract. It was up another 99 points to close at 91.52. May cotton up 76, 9206, with new crop December cotton up 31 points at 83.61 cents. Not a lot of movement in the corn market on Tuesday. March corn up a quarter penny, 4.30 and three quarters. May corn up three quarters, 4.43 and a quarter. September contract unchanged, 4.58 and three quarters. Wheat under pressure in Tuesday's market. Russia continues to dominate world wheat trade. They have a lot of wheat on hand, and they're offering at a very cheap price, undercutting just about everyone else on the market. Hard wheat finishing lower with March Kansas City wheat down four and a quarter, 494 and a half. New crop July down three and a quarter at 585 and three quarters. Soft wheat market steady to lower. March Chicago wheat unchanged at 597 and a half. July down two and a half, 597 and three quarters. In the energy markets, March natural gas was down nine cents at $1.67. March West Texas crude oil up 83, 77.75 a barrel. The financial markets lower on Tuesday afternoon. The Dow dropping 524 points, 38,272. The Nasdaq down 286, 15,655. The S&P down 68 at 4,953. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.